the old pilot's plain tales. The secret life of 60528. Back in 1997, on a sliver of land, wedged between a gas station and a car park, a lone C-130 Hercules could be found. It was mounted there near the entrance to the National Security Agency at Fort Meade in Maryland for a good reason. Not the original aircraft, as that crashed on foreign soil, but it had been painted with the same tail number, 60528, to represent it. It was perhaps an unusually bold memorial to some of the most highly classified missions ever flown by the United States. Missions that, over the years, cost the lives of more than 200 American servicemen. The secret casualties of the Cold War. The Cold War was more than the nuclear threat of two superpowers confronting each other, the posturing and concealment, the menace and bluster. There was a real conflict going on, hidden from the public's view. For decades, NATO servicemen put their lives on the line, and in some cases they made the ultimate sacrifice. So it was for the crew of the Hercules number 60528. The crew met in the mess hall at Ingelic Air Base at an ungodly hour in the morning of September the 2nd, 1958. Seventeen men whose tour of duty in Turkey was awful at the best of times. They finished eating their breakfast of powdered eggs and thick black Turkish coffee and climbed into the crew truck, which dumped them on the area of tarmac reserved for American aircraft. The men were divided into two camps, the front six crewmen who flew the aircraft and the eleven back-enders who were the reconnaissance specialists, manning the highly sophisticated electronic snooping equipment in the belly of the Herc. It was an interesting mix, as the groups worked for different headquarters and those in the front weren't allowed to know what the specialists in the back were doing. Even stranger was that the enlisted men in the back were often the ones giving instructions to the officers in the front. Their aircraft, 60528, had only arrived the previous day, brand new out of the States, with only 200 hours on the clock. It was a state-of-the-art machine, but was already proving to be troublesome, as the mechanics tried to get it serviceable for the mission without much luck. They were going to be delayed. The flight crew were experienced and capable. The navigator was considered the best of an excellent bunch, and he had a lot of experience in the Turkish theatre of operations. The commander was a veteran pilot, but not on this aircraft, nor in this area, but he was being assessed by a more senior pilot prior to an upgrade. Instead of their usual missions out over the Black Sea to eavesdrop on Soviet Air Force pilot chatter, they were planning to fly along the eastern border of Turkey, concentrating on Soviet military emissions in Georgia and Armenia. They were going to be particularly interested in the new SS-4 Scud missiles that were suspected to be in those areas. They had other standing orders as well, and by coming close to the border, and in some cases deliberately crossing it, they would be painted by Soviet air defence radars and missile tracking radars. 
By receiving these emissions, they could gain valuable information on radar frequencies and the like that could be used to program American jamming transmitters. Today's flight would take them northeast, up across Kayseri Beacon, to Trabzon, on the Black Sea coast, about a 100 miles from the Russian border. From there they would head southeast for Lake Van, opposite the border with Soviet Armenia, and fly a figure of eight pattern between Van and Trabzon, listening and picking up data until they needed to head home. All told, about an eight-hour mission. Delayed by the unserviceable aircraft, they didn't get airborne until a little after 11.20 in the morning, and expected to return around 7.40 in the evening. Shortly after noon, they made a report to the civilian air traffic controller and called over Trabzon at flight level 255. On the other side of the border, the Soviet 29th Radio Technical Station was tracking the Hercules, and they noted that it was flying well to the east of Trabzon, on a course that would take it overhead the Soviet city of Batumi on the Black Sea coast. The radar operators watched the American aircraft turn to fly parallel to the Soviet border and climb. They didn't consider the single aircraft a threat yet, as it was still within Turkish airspace, but it was approaching the Armenian border. Then it turned onto a course of 140 degrees towards the Soviet border. The Soviet zone commander immediately ordered the duty pilots of the 117th Fighter Aviation Regiment to take off. As the Soviet military radar stations continued to plot the position of the Hercules, the MiG-17 fighters tried to get airborne. But the Leninakan airfield was in the middle of a dust storm, so aircraft from the Yerevan airfield were scrambled as well. Finally, all four MiGs were airborne and being vectored onto the stray C-130. On board the Hercules, it was quite possible for the specialists in the back to monitor and translate the radio transmissions being given to the intercepting fighters, but in all probability, lacking the frequency agile equipment of today, they weren't listening to the right frequencies at this crucial time. Even if they had been, it's quite possible that the crew were accidentally off course, so it's doubtful that they would have realised that they were the ones in danger. It appears that, despite his skill and experience, the navigator may have been fooled by a beacon across the border that was transmitting on the same frequency as Trabzon, and had been lured or just mistakenly taken his aircraft into a terrible and dangerous situation. The radar controllers guided the MiGs unerringly into position, and the lead fighter pilot reported seeing the target, a large one at 10,000 metres, just as it crossed the border. The MiG-17s descended onto the Hercules and intercepted it. The flight leader made a quick pass, firing his guns, but instead of obeying the implied instruction to follow the fighter and land, the Hercules pilots followed their standing orders, and turned sharply away, diving to the west. The Soviet pilots, familiar with the area, confirmed that they and the C-130 were on the Soviet side of the border, marked by the prominent Arpa River, which they called the Fence, 
and with the C-130 trying to escape, they were immediately told to engage. The leader told his wingman, Attack, attack, 218, attack! A missile rocketed from the MiG-17, hitting the American aircraft's tail and severely damaging the fin, followed by gun attacks from the other fighters. Again and again the lumbering Hercules was raked with cannon fire as it corkscrewed down. The Soviet pilots reported, The target is burning! It's heading towards the fence! And then, The target has lost control! It's going down! With its right wing ablaze and its controls shot away, 60528 spiralled into the ground amongst the foothills of the Adagat Mountains, 28 miles inside the Soviet border. The Soviet engagement of the Hercules was far from uncommon or unexpected, particularly since the aircraft had unequivocally crossed into Soviet airspace. Other NATO aircraft had been casualties of Soviet aggression in far less clear circumstances. In 1950, a U.S. Navy Neptune anti-submarine aircraft working off the coast of Vladivostok was engaged by four Soviet MiG-15 Fagot jet fighters. When the fighters got too close, the tail gunner of the Neptune fired a burst of 20mm cannon shells in what was supposed to be a warning shot, but when one of the MiGs exploded, the Neptune dove for the deck and escaped. The next year, two Soviet Lavochkin LA-11 fighters engaged and shot down a Neptune near Vladivostok, killing all ten on board. The Soviets claimed that the aircraft was intercepted seven to eight miles off the coast and it crashed 18 miles from the shore. The US Navy publicly claimed that the aircraft was engaged in a weather reconnaissance flight and only after the Cold War ended did it admit that the Neptune was on a signals intelligence collection mission. In 1953, an RAF Lincoln, a development of the famed Lancaster, was shot down by a Soviet MiG-15 whilst transiting between Hamburg and Berlin in the Berlin Corridor. At the time, the Soviets were being described as particularly aggressive towards the West, having shot down an American fighter and attacked other Allied military and civilian aircraft over the previous few days. Some of the crew managed to bail out, but German eyewitnesses claimed that they were strafed and killed in their parachutes by one of the MiGs. The Soviet news agency claimed that the aircraft was flying over the GDR and had shot at the fighters. Churchill, the Prime Minister, replied that the Lincoln was not armed and it was within the agreed air corridor. All seven crew members were killed. The bodies of the crew and the wreckage of the aircraft were returned within days of the incident together with an uncharacteristic expression of regret from the Soviet authorities. And 1954 saw another Navy Neptune attacked and down in the Sea of Japan, 40 miles off the Soviet coast. 
Severely damaged, the crew ditched the aircraft and nine out of the ten crewmen were rescued by a USAF Grumman SA-16 Albatross. But sadly, Ensign Paul Reed drowned in the sinking aircraft. He had been pushing out a life raft and encouraging others to escape when the aircraft suddenly disappeared into the depths, trapping him inside. The losses would continue throughout the Cold War, which didn't formally end until the reforms that President Gorbachev introduced within the Soviet Union in 1991. Many American flights by purpose-built spy planes such as the U-2 and SR-71 were conducted over Soviet airspace, which violated the sovereignty of the Soviet state and certainly didn't comply with the international law. One of these was brought down, the aircraft flown by CIA pilot Gary Powers. So determined were the Soviets to end these flights that they killed one of their own pilots in an attempted intercept. The Russian Air Defence Forces had launched 14 Divina missiles known in the West as the SA-2 at Powers' aircraft, one of which hit a MiG-19 jet fighter, which was sent to intercept the U-2, but could not reach a high enough altitude. Its pilot ejected but died of his injuries. Another pilot would have given his life as well. A newly manufactured Sukhoi Su-9 was transiting the area and ordered to attempt an intercept. Since the Sukhoi was unarmed, the pilot was ordered to ram the U-2, Closing it over Mach 1, he failed to hit the spy plane due to the enormous speed difference. Powers was only flying at Mach 0.6 and the lack of manoeuvrability at such great altitudes. When 60528 crashed... The entire aircraft exploded, blowing the cockpit area off the front of the fuselage. There was an intense fire, and the remains of the aircraft and crew were burnt to cinders. Without even the chance to put out a mayday call, 17 men were dead. Despite the earlier engagements, this was the first American reconnaissance aircraft to crash on Soviet soil, shot down by Soviet defences. Back at their base, the commanders were becoming worried that the Hercules hadn't returned on time, but they faced an unexpected problem. The classification of the mission was so high that some units weren't authorised to communicate adequately with others, and as a result, important information was withheld, and in some cases, deliberate cover-ups occurred. It didn't help that some of the rear crew weren't even in the same force. However, they were quickly and retroactively transferred to the same unit as the air crew to disguise their association with the security services. On the western side of the border, nobody even knew where the wreckage was located, and the Soviets were denying any involvement. All that the Air Force could say was that the aircraft was missing, which was the truth, although they had their suspicions. An intensive search was carried out for days, the searching aircraft scouring the wooded valleys of Turkey, looking for the smallest sign of the crashed aircraft, but to no avail. 
They had no clue that the wreck was miles away in Armenia. The press began to speculate about the search area being close to the Soviet border, and they reminded their readers about previous hostile acts by Soviet forces. Many of the missing men had been married, one about to join his new bride, but all their loved ones were told was that the flight had been reported missing. After a week, the search was called off. About the same time, a radio Morse code intercept began to reveal that MiG fighters had been vectored to a spot near the border and had shot down an aircraft. As more intercept information came forward, the picture became clearer and President Eisenhower was briefed. And it was finally revealed that Turkish border guards had observed the entire incident, reporting that no parachutes were seen. Finally, the last part of the puzzle fell into place when it was discovered that a Turkish intercept site had recorded all the VHF radio communications between the Soviet pilots. At the highest levels of command, the fate of 60528 was now known, but had the crew survived? That was still an unanswered question. Ten days after the shootdown, the Soviet Foreign Ministry handed in a note to the American Embassy in Moscow advising them that a burned aircraft and six bodies had been found near the Armenian border. The US government gave a press release which indicated that the aircraft had crashed in Armenia and six of the 17 crew were dead. How the families of the crew must have felt not knowing who might have survived is awful to consider. The reason for the crash wasn't given. To be fair to the Soviet doctors who attended the site, the fire at the crash had been so intense that only six bodies could be identified as human remains and nothing could be found of the others. The bodies of the six crew were returned to the United States, but it wasn't until 40 years later and after the fall of the Soviet Union that the fate of the remaining 11 could be determined. A US excavation team found evidence of hundreds of skeletal fragments, but only two could be definitely identified. Finally, a group burial for the crew of 60528 was conducted at Arlington National Cemetery, and the mystery laid to rest. Sadly, if you head to Fort Meade to see the Hercules, you'll currently be disappointed, since the National Vigilance Park was closed in February 2017 and its aircraft and memorials removed. The replica Hercules was too fragile to survive, but the National Cryptological Museum hopes to acquire a replacement when it eventually reopens. If you enjoyed this story, then I'd be delighted if you told your friends about it, perhaps left a message on social media, or went on to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice to leave a review. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us 
at AirlinePilotGuy.com.